Welcome to Actually Best Choice Movies, the world's only movie podcast. Uh, I am one of your hosts. My name is Chris Chafin. And for I shall be your other host, Caleb Shively. Hmm, well met, good sir. Was that like the vibe that you were doing with that? Uh, I was just throwing things out there and you caught it as a vibe of sirnessness. Uh, so, you know, that's the vibe. That's the vibe. We're acknowledge each other as sir. Earnestness, sirnessist. Sir Ernest. Ernest gets knighted. Which I would, gets knighted. There Great, we one, got there. That's a million dollar yeah. idea. I think there um, is one where he's in England. I forget. Rides I don't again. Know if that's true. I don't think there is. Right, Ernest rides again. I forget the plot of that one. I, I'm oh, pretty. Okay. I'm pretty up to date on my Ernest movie. I mean, I believe it. I don't know why I wanted. To, I don't want to get in an argument with you about Ernest movies. I'm sure you know more than me. <laughs> so this week we're going to cover Ernest goes to uh, Guantanamo Bay, and Harold and Kumar go to watch an Ernest movie. Yes, exactly. Um, uh, so I, I, like, I want to be there because that was a good joke, but I just want to like move the show along. Do you know what I mean? I, sure, I don't want to. I don't want to ignore that. That was a good concept. Ernest goes to Guantanamo Bay is not a. That's a, you're mixing up things a little bit, but I, I love. I it. acknowledged it with my Harold and Kumar reference then too. Exactly. Every week on Actually Best Choice Movies, see, this is me moving the show along. Uh, we talk about two movies. One of them is old. One of them is new. And they fit together in a way. Uh, sometimes they fit together so well, it's like a perfect loop. Wouldn't you say, Caleb? A perfect, profound loop. A wheel well-oiled. Yes, a wheel well-oiled. Um, those are the ones that are the fastest in my experience, right? Like, <laughs> Yeah, man. Vroom, vroom. Chris bought a car. We're both car owners now, so we can talk about stuff like this. Uh, technically, my wife is a car owner. I'm a car passenger. Hey, Caleb, you ever get in a car and the wheels are like real round? <laughs> you know what I mean? They're oh, so man. round. Love to sit in the car thinking about, man, this wheel is super round. Got a good uh, circumference to it. Yo, you never seen something rounder than this wheel. Dinner plates, get out of here. Yeah, man. Um, so yeah, we're talking about two different time loop films this week. Uh, 2020's new Hulu original starring Andy Samberg, uh, Palm Springs, uh, directed by whom I forget. Came Max Barbacow. Okay. Debut film from a young man. You gotta assume basically it was directed by Andy Samberg, right? But it's like, uh, Max I, technically directed it. He directed it. There is some, uh, we'll get into it, but you know, he pitched it to the Lonely Island. Lonely Island liked him. So yeah, they're producers. No, oh, that's cool. <laughs> Um, and the other one, there's lots to choose from, obviously. Uh, we're talking about one of my favorites, kind of an overlooked one. Uh, it's 2014's Edge of Tomorrow, starring Tom Cruise. Uh, sort of semi-officially retitled as Live, Die, Repeat, colon, That's Edge of Tomorrow. It. Just Edge of Tomorrow works perfectly. So stupid. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's so dumb. I guess it was because that was what it said on all the posters and all the TV ads was Live, Die, Repeat. And so I guess they thought people didn't know what Edge of Tomorrow was. Yeah, their audience is stupid. But, you know, smart people like us like it because it is a fascinating, good movie, which we'll talk about. That's all this week on Actually, Best Choice. Movies. 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 So like I was saying, time loop movies, time loop TV shows, time loop TV episodes, it's become a really major trope uh, over the last 30 years, going back to Groundhog Day, right? Yeah, um, and obviously we should have picked Groundhog Day, but it just it's such a masterpiece of the genre of time loop movies. 
there have been things before it. Like it's that, too on the nose, Caleb. It's yeah. too on the nose to pick it's too Groundhog on the Day. Nose. And also, uh, it's kind of uh, templates. Groundhog Day template just applies. It's such a shorthand too. Uh, like when you're just with your friends being like, something is repetitive or deja vu. You just say, oh, this feels like Groundhog Day. You just take for granted how much of part of culture that movie is. Uh, it's an Aces Bill Murray role, who is one of our great actors. I would say it's like as up there as something like as Wizard of Oz, as something as that yeah, iconic. You're totally right. Because it established, I mean, we were, it's like, as far as I am aware, in the popular, the modern popular consciousness, Groundhog Day like established the concept of a time loop for people. Uh-huh. Like there's obviously time travel existed and time loops existed maybe and as an idea already. I'm not saying they invented it, but if you're talking about like the popular consciousness, I feel like this movie, you know, told you what a time loop was, made up all the rules for one and mm-hmm. then but did it in this way that was totally effortless where you didn't even really feel like you were watching some kind of high concept science fiction movie. It was just like I, it just seems very nice because of the way Bill Murray per, does the performs in the film. Like just percent, yeah. You're just uh, watching things happen to Bill Murray, and you're <laughs> like, "Oh, what's this crazy shit he's having to put up with?" Mm-hmm. You know, and it's a time loop, right? Uh, and it's yeah. so perfectly done. It's so perfectly done. Yeah, it. The, like Chris was saying, it's uh, was a very big sci-fi trope. It dates back to like the 1800s, uh, but there were some like Japanese movies in the 80s. Um, but really, who cares? Because uh, Bill Murray just plays this. You know, it's a Bill Murray learning lesson, but it's still him being Bill Murray the entire time. Like Phil Connor, the beauty, I think the beauty of that movie is that he doesn't become a better, like a different person. He just becomes a better version of Phil Connor. Like you could, he still retains this Bill Murray energy throughout the entire movie. Uh, like he goes through so much, like he goes through this depression and this, uh, uh, just the whole mundane of it. And he's still like a quintessential Bill Murray but there's uh, there's lots of other so Groundhog Day it came out about thirty years ago and there's been countless ones since then uh, I think I don't know Run Little Run is a good one that I liked a lot Honey uh, that was like in the nineties too but it was like five years later because you know you can't go right there actually was one the same year as Groundhog Day called Twelve O One which Jonathan Silver started that I'm sorry that that you had to make that movie that same. <laughs> Time has grown hard. Do you think he's pissed? Do you think he's pissed to this day? He's like, you know, we put out a movie, a time movie too. Same year, same year, same concept. I know. Pro- probably. <laughs> uh, but there's like other big ones too. Like uh, uh, Source Code was one we talked about doing on this yes, show. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I think it's a little closer to Quantum Leap because he like jumped into people. It's a Jake Gyllenhaal movie. Right. I forget who directs it off the top of my head, but like he just. Oh, it's, it's Duncan Jones, David Bowie's son. Yeah, the director of Moon and yeah, the director of Warcraft, uh, <laughs> Duncan Jones. Um, so I think people still, I mean, I follow him on Twitter, so I see people talking about that movie still. It might just be because I follow him on Twitter. But like I, people think of it fondly. Well, in the New Yorker review of Palm Springs, actually, they call it out as being the best time loop movie. That's like other than Groundhog okay. Day. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, I don't know if I don't know if that's I don't know if I agree with that. Uh, it was around like around five years ago or so, uh, like Doctor Strange kind of had a little time loop stuff in it, too, because he could do stuff that the Marvel movie. Then there's also like uh, a Netflix movie with Marlon Wayans where he just wakes up naked in an elevator over and over again and repeats itself. 
Uh, I think happy, I, happy Death Day. Oh, Happy Death Day is another one. Yeah, uh, it's not a bad, but it's a more slasher one. Uh, I think that's the nature of time loop movie. It just is a always can be interesting, and you always are curious to see how someone can do it differently. It's also, uh, I think, a good way for an audience to like picture themselves in a situation too, because you're getting that situation over and over again. So, like, oh wait, what what would I do here? I think recently, I'm a big fan of uh, Wesley Headland's uh, Russian Doll show. Thursday, what a concept! Uh, also on Netflix. Netflix has a lot of these, huh? <laughs> it's a good concept, you know. Horse girl on the show uh, we did, which we covered on the show, dabs its toe in a little mystery of like. Yes, a little bit, yeah. not not very much, a little bit. Uh, I know a movie I like called uh, The Endless is mm. on Netflix now. Uh, that was a Aaron Moorhead, Justin Benson movie. I like those guys. That's a mm. horror movie, but yeah, we're just saying that like there are interesting ways to redo Groundhog Day because <laughs> Groundhog Day just gave you such a, a good existential template of like what a person would go through. (laughs) And I think both these movies that we're going to cover are definitely inspired by it. And maybe just don't try and reinvent that template, but maybe just add on to it, which is what you're supposed to do as it's kind of like a future movies. (laughs) It's kind of like a device that like reveals the character, you know, because they have to go through the same thing. They're no longer reacting to the world in the same way. Like they go through this whole journey where they just, it really like brings out whatever's inside of the the person. Um, And I just wanted to mention this. I mean, we're talking about all these really good films and TV shows um, that are great and that use this concept really well. But it has to be said, it's it's used everywhere, 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 everywhere. Does time loop things now? Like um, the if you're on Disney Plus, one of the main Christmas specials that it wants to show you is one from a few years ago where it's Huey, Dewey, and Louie, and they're at you know Uncle Donald's house, and it's Christmas. And they're so excited. They have such a great day. And at the end of the day, they say, I wish it could be Christmas every day. And then it is Christmas every day. And it's like the Groundhog Day Christmas thing. And, you know, eventually they come to learn that Christmas is special because it only comes once a year. If it was every day, it would be boring and suck. And I think that's uh, weird because I believe that title is called Mickey's Once Upon a Christmas. It is. And the Mickey is not even fucking in it. Yeah. I don't think. It doesn't make sense. I think there's like three stories in it, but like. Right. That's one of them. I think you're right. I think it's a. It has like two or three. It has like parts, the gift of like, a Magi one because of course it does, and probably Goofy yeah. does some bullshit where he like falls down and. But this one is like really long. It's like fifteen minutes or something, and it and it repeats in such detail that it gets boring. I think really fast, and I've wa- I've actually watched it twice. <laughs> like I I wanted to like it, and it, I, uh, it's not that good. <laughs> This this Christmas Disney thing. I love it, dude. I was so well. Look, Christmas this past year, it was like I just Disney Plus was brand new, and I had a baby for the first time in my life, and like it was you know beautiful, and I got to be in New York for the first time ever. I was like housing Christmas specials. I loved. It. I was just trying to be very uh, festive. I was trying to be very festive. Season. Is indeed. Um, speaking of the season, shall we move on to the season that it is now, summertime, which is when Palm Springs is set. It's actually set in November, so November 9th. Don't fucking contradict me, Caleb. <laughs> but yeah, Palm Springs. Good day so far? Today, tomorrow, it's all the same. You, what is going on? Hey, get out of the water! Guess you followed me. It's one of those infinite time loop situations you might have heard about. That I might have heard about? Yeah. The second you fall asleep, it all just goes back to the start. I drove all the way back home to Austin. And I still woke up here. One time I smoked a bunch of crystal and made it all the way to Equatorial Guinea. It was a huge waste of time. Well, then what's the point of living? We kind of have no choice but to live. 
No, I'm gonna get out of this. Suit yourself. See you tomorrow. Niall, the carefree spirit, meets reluctant maid of honor Sarah at Sarah's sister's wedding. However, things get complicated when Sarah discovers Niall has accidentally brought her into a time loop in which they are now both unable to escape from. That's the stock plot. I could also say rom-com applied to Groundhog's Day, though that would be selling both of those movies short. Really, Palm Springs stands on its own merits, finding a goofy, charming sweetness from its two leads, Christine Melody and Andy Samberg. Uh, the fact that we start with Niall's time loop already in progress, coupled with a dual lead performance, changed both that Groundhog Day template while also having a fresh and smart take on the rom-com genre itself. Uh, sold for a current record-breaking $17.5 million and 69 cents at this year's Sundance, Hulu already claims historic streaming numbers for Palm Springs. Uh, this may be helped as the movie benefits from multiple viewings to catch all the quick jokes that run through a fairly layered plotline, or for the fact that the movie is quite good. Uh, Chris, do you agree with quite good? I do think it's quite good. Um, you know, I, I, Hulu was very heavily suggesting to me that I watch this movie. And uh, obviously I, you know, I like Andy Samberg. We've talked about um, his other movies on this show before. And, you know, I have, I've, he comes on comedy bang, bang a lot. I heard him tell the story about why it was that price, which I'm sure, you know, this story. Yeah. yeah 69 cents is, fu is funny to Akiva. Yeah. They basically just found out that they were tying. They thought that they were breaking the record for highest set sale ever at Sundance, but they actually found out they were tie. It was a tie. So then they asked for 69 more cents. <laughs> and the way he tells it, it does just sound like a really stupid joke. And then you're like, wait, really? <laughs> and that is really, that is really what they really did. Yeah. They're um, great human beings. Uh, those guys. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's great. Um, but so I was a little, but I was a little nervous. I have to say, because I, I don't know. I was worried about it because I knew it was a rom-com and you know, it's a time loop and Andy Samberg. And you're like, is this going to be like a little, uh, pandering-y and like, and, and I will say, I think the worst part of this movie actually is the first 15 minutes. Like, I think that it's a little shaky at right at the beginning. Um, and I, but I, I do agree with you that I love that we start with Andy Samberg's time loop in progress. I mean, I, I did one of those things where I figured it out after a certain amount of time and I said it out loud to Catherine. I was like, Oh, he's in a time loop. And like, cause I hadn't read anything about it. I, I didn't oh, know. Wow. Oh no, I guess I knew, I guess I knew it was a time loop movie. And, but then I, when I figured out he was already in the time loop, I was like, Oh, that's really smart. I like that a lot. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. It's more like um, the way that the, the woman character is written in the beginning of the movie is a little like surfacey, and they're doing it because they're going to deepen her and they do deepen her very well. And obviously the performance is fantastic. Um, but it's like just the first couple of scenes with her. And I just felt like all of her dialogue was a little clunky. And I, I was very worried uh, around minute 15 of the movie it wasn't going to be good but i think it really picks up i think you really get invested in in the two of them and they're both like very unique characters and i love that it is kind of like a two-hander like you're saying like yeah like she has as much to do as andy samberg does like a hundred percent uh and she is the one that has like a real journey emotionally really andy samberg kind of 100 percent uh yeah so like yeah when the those two things that when it starts out with uh the andy samberg is already in it uh, it establishes the world and also allows it to be explained to the audience when he explains it to uh, Sarah, Christine Melota's character, uh, which, you know, automatically puts her on his on her side. And 
I did see this uh, twice for this. I watched it a while ago when it first came out, and then I watched it again for uh, podcast purposes this morning. Um, but yeah, uh, the second time around, uh, like you really latch on to her perspective so much more. Uh, Christine Malota, superstar. She should be in movies going forward. Uh, Samper gets to play a lot of like the sad sack, the omniscient humor like Bill Murray plays in Groundhog Day. Uh, like the dumb time loop stuff where she's Sarah's more just reacting and like exasperated by the situation. Uh, and that's more fun as an audience surrogate. And you latch yeah. onto that perspective more. What you're talking about right here, like right mm-hmm. at the way that they introduce the time loop. I, I agree also. I think it's really well done because because Andy Samberg's already in the time loop. The first thing we see happen is Kristen Milotti's character. She goes through the time loop and she's like, what's happening to me? And then he explains to her. And what's so smart about that is like she has already experienced the time loop and so has he. So neither one of them has to convince the other that it's really happening, Mm -hmm. which usually happens in every single time loop thing. And it's really can be very tedious. You know, it's like when there's a time traveler, you have to watch someone get convinced that time travel exists or when there's a ghost, you have to watch them get convinced that ghosts are real. And it's you're a little bit like uh, just for the purposes of the movie. Can we just agree that this is real and move on? But yeah. so by structuring it this way, it, it takes care of that, which I thought was really smart. There is like a physical reasoning to this movie. Like, a, I think a great thing about Groundhog Day, and we are going to play Groundhog Day to both these movies a lot because that movie just rules, um, is that they just eschew any explaining and just happens to be where this movie, uh, like, it's explained through an earthquake times a quantum physics realm thing. And then right. and they, they do stick to it for better or worse, uh, but it's still like, it's a good. Uh, I don't know. I, I would say in general, uh, as far as we're talking about the time loop for as it applies within Palm Springs, uh, it takes a big swings within it. I, I mentioned there mentioned quantum physics. Uh, there's a twist that uh, with, I won't say uh, about Sarah's character where how she wakes up every morning. Right. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's an, also there's a, the, an inherent strong sense of nihilism throughout this entire movie, like big swings for a, a, a rom-com time loop movie. Uh, but, yeah. but, but it, but as a movie, it never loses sight that it is a 90-minute comedy, and it always keeps those jokes super fast. Well, this is the thing, I think, to say about this movie is we're talking about the structure of the plot and blah, blah. I mean, it's just a very funny movie. It's very funny. Like, lots of surprising jokes happen. Like, J.K. Simmons has a great part in this movie as another person stuck in the time loop who, like, Roy. doesn't like being stuck in the time loop. Yeah, um, He's like, uh, yeah. Uh, his character name is Roy. It's a chaos element, anything. It also That's helps great. to, uh, un- you know, he's another person stuck in the time loop, and it helps unburden the uh, writing, the story, too. Uh, like, it provides an antagonist. Uh, like, as Sarah and Niles get to know each other, uh, she always tells them, you have to deal with this. Like, it gives them something to, like, build on, too. Yeah, and yeah, he, yeah. He also brings uh, a layer of darkness like this movie's pretty dark. Like I said, it has like a lot of like nihilistic philosophizing. Well, because uh, but, they die to reset the yeah. day many, many times. Like if they die, the day resets. Or yeah. if they go to sleep, the day resets. So and there's like what, uh, huge J- stretches where they're like just killing themselves or killing each other, you know? Yeah, that's what the J.K. Simmons character does too. Uh, I saw I saw someone online compare it to uh, an Elmer Fudd, Bugs Bunny relationship where he's yeah, just yeah. always out to kill him because uh, he's... And it's fine because they just dragging. are reborn the next day. It doesn't matter, you know? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Like it is like that, right? It's, it's, I mean, it's very, and there's just lots of, there's lots of good time loop jokes. Like they just kind of are doing anything they can possibly do to amuse themselves because we're given to understand that they are in this loop for like 
I don't even know how, like how long do you think it was like a hundred years or something like if they're doing this, they do it like over and over and over and over and over again. <laughs> yeah. They do um, a good little bit of uh, some, like they're in the time loop. I think like at one point they celebrate his uh, millionth birthday, which like I've been here that long. Okay. <laughs> That's right. Even it was like a joke, but like, yeah. was it a joke? You know, like, <laughs> like I mean, honestly, how long, honestly, in- how long do you think they were supposed to be in the time loop? Uh, well, he's been on it for, cause we're starting in the middle with Christine Mulatto. So probably with her, I would say it's probably closer to like 600 to a thousand days where him, it could, it could be that long because he's such like carefree and careless. And when he does explain it, uh, he has this like nothing matters ethos. And also he's a alcoholic, but like, of course he is. He has no repercussions and might as well do that. <laughs> I kind of thought as I was watching the movie and I was watching the stuff you're talking about, right? So he's been in the loop for forever and he just kind of like does, he just like hangs out and drinks and wears whatever clothes he wants. And sometimes he's like charming to people and has sex with them. And sometimes he just like eats food and doesn't ignores everybody. Um, anybody just has like no responsibilities and you know, he doesn't care. Right. Mm-hmm. So obviously it's like metaphorical and it's metaphorical about lots of things about the way mm-hmm. kind of people live their lives. Watching Andy Samberg do it. I couldn't help but think about the way that's a metaphor for like celebrity, like being the life of being a rich, famous person, because in a certain way, that's what it must be like. Like there are no repercussions to anything. There's no limitations on what you can do. Um, but in a, but at the same time, like, everything is kind of the same all the time. Like you wake up in your mansion and then you like your friends come over and you get really drunk and, or you, I don't know, you just kind of like do the same stuff all the time and you kind of feel divorced from reality and divorced from consequence. And as fun as that is, it can also be like suffocating. Mm -hmm. Uh, They use the phrase, uh, I forget which character does it, but uh, the term is quote, suffer existence. Uh, which uh, I mean completely applies to our current situation of uh, being quarantined and locking in harms during a global pandemic. I mean, of all Uh, times to come out, right? Like it's uh, very relevant to right now. Mm -hmm. And to track another metaphor that I uh, applied to it, it's a very strong metaphor for uh, just a long-term relationship in that they've established uh, like a world for each other where they're both super comfortable and like they just, the only two that get it. Uh, in this case, the get it is they're in the time loop, but like with a significant other, you're like, you're that you get each other. You're like, you're on a, on the same joke and, and like, why are they over and over each other? And like, why are you together? Except that just like, it's more fun to go through life together than mm-hmm. not, you know? Uh, and that's, uh, I think makes it really work as it's uh rom-com nature and to, uh, help explain why I like this movie a little bit, uh, is another movie, uh, that it reminded me a lot of is, uh, Albert Brooks's defending your life. Uh, oh, really? In is, what yeah, way? A high concept rom com carried by two charming leads, and also there's some gruff supporting actor, uh, huh. J.K. Simmons. This movie, this okay. uh, the Finger yeah. Life had a cosmic life and death stakes, I guess. Also, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, they're also just like completely originally funny ideas too. Um, I mean, funny ideas in a rom com. Uh, but to the nature of the rom com and just works oh. so well for Palm Springs. Uh, and it works because they are both very believable in their uh, actions, which is they're both believable in their cynicism. Uh, yeah, the leads. Yeah. They're both cynical. Of course, these two would get along. Uh, like it's like a, I guess it's like they have a meet cute in that they have they share a time loop. But then there's like even like a fun montage of them just like going over, which is probably like seven hundred days or so. I don't know, whatever. But just them like just doing this, like what you would do and have fun when you get to take advantage of being at a wedding in Palm Springs, stuck at a wedding the entire time. 
uh, it's very funny movie. Uh, like I said, it does get dark, and I, that's what I think makes it a very good and uh, perfect time loop movie. As like, uh, wait, it's good and perfect. Well, in the sense that uh, Groundhog Day, which is again is better than this and a, a bit more perfect movie, uh, gets it's because re- it's really dark. It like really uh, gets into those dark things, and this movie does too. Um, it really lends itself into that heavier stuff because of uh, the established cynicism. Uh, and alcoholism that these characters have established. Uh, like, I think, like I said, they say they have to suffer existence, but there's like this part, and it happens right after that montage where they're like at night and they're like uh, about to go to bed for the night and they're like taking mushrooms and they see dinosaurs. But they like, they talk about his emotions and he just says like, oh, just like any other emotion where everything just drifts away. I was like, damn, that is dark. Yeah, that's pretty dark. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I would say maybe those I, I I liked some of those scenes, but at the same time, I felt like they were some of the weaker parts of the movie because the two of them are much better at playing comedy, I would say, than those kind those types of scenes. Yeah, um, I think she did a good job of it just because I don't know. I just think she's very talented and uh, there's like a high strung like her shit is not together to this to it. I guess it's probably because of her being more of an audience surrogate. Uh, but for Sandberg. Uh, like I, I, I honestly like I love Andy Samberg. He's uh, I saw I know I didn't like him on SNL too much, but I always thought he was just say the line, not uh-huh. acting, just saying a line. Uh, but I think this is his best movie. Like he didn't carry pop star as much as exist in it. And I would say the same is true with Brooklyn Nine Nine and The Lonely Island. Uh, but here, his like grinning doofish stick, like it works as like a mask. Right. Uh, and that mask is like covering that he's going through a rut. Uh, and this rut happens to be a time loop, which, you know, of course, I'd, you're going through something heavy, too. And uh, he does a good job of just being like smarmy asshole. Uh, there's this beautiful running joke the entire time that he uh, reacts well to. Of uh, He's at a wedding, so he's someone's boyfriend at the wedding. So no one knows who he is. So this whole existence is being like, oh, Misty's boyfriend. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it really helps sell the whole mundaneness of a time loop. I think he did a good job of that. And you're totally right. What you were saying a minute ago, like the point of the movie, you know, in a certain way, it's Kristen Malati's journey, right? And we're seeing her emotional journey for Sandberg. What he's going through is it's like we are trying to see beneath the mask of this jovial guy who acts like he doesn't care about anything. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, like, sometimes that works. And then sometimes you're like maybe he's just not very deep. Like, maybe he just doesn't actually really have any deep thoughts. Like, he just kind of hangs out. (laughs) <laughs> I think that movie wants you to believe that there's some kind of like hidden trauma or like depth to his approach to the world. But, you know, to me, he just seems like a fucking chucklehead. You know, he just seems like, you know, he's got it pretty easy to me, you know? Yeah. I, I, I think they try to explain it as him being just in this loop so long that he just doesn't remember his job or uh, like he doesn't reference that he has a dog till the very end, which I thought was a very cute note at the end. Um, but yeah, uh, I don't know. It does make the rom-com stuff palpable when he does fully realize that he's an idiot and that he should be with this person who's kind of awesome. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's great. I mean, I'm 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 being a little critical, but like, I think it's a really funny movie. I think it's really well done, and I was I mm-hmm. was very pleasantly surprised and like relieved by watching mm-hmm. it. Yeah, because uh, I like would say uh, it is in the shadow of Groundhog Day, as every movie in the time loop is, but does some like. Uh, alternative anti-Groundhog Day stuff. Like it, like it does stick to a scientific believability in its way, which I think that is a little bit clunky, but whatever, it, it, it works for the movie. 
Oh, um, wait, I have to say the one thing about this movie, honestly, that I thought was the, the least realistic thing. OK, the least realistic thing about this time loop movie is that there's this scene we talked about a little bit ago where Andy Samberg is describing to Kristen Malati like what's going on. And he never says like Groundhog Day, you know, so I guess they <laughs> exist in a universe where Groundhog Day does not exist because it. Yeah, you definitely, you definitely. And it would have been it would have worked and been funny if he had said, like, it's like Groundhog Day, you know, there is like a little uh, and this is another thing I was going to bring up of like how it like is kind of anti Groundhog Day uh, where she says, like, I know how to get out of this. I just have to learn a lesson, yeah, 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 that, yeah. which I thought was very funny. And then she like doesn't uh, does, which does address like a big plot in this uh, a, a, a subplot in this movie. I was like, let me just do this one thing and I'll have to do it. See ya. And it, that doesn't work because it does stick to that science. I thought that was very funny and uh, a good uh, subversion of Groundhog Day trope. Yeah, I totally agree, right? Because that is because that's what happens in Groundhog Day. That is what happens in many, many other time mm-hmm. loop things, like Mickey's Once Upon a Christmas. That is what happens. They learn their lesson, and then, and the time loop stops. Um, but yeah, it just doesn't work out. It. I think it ends with her getting killed or something, right? Doesn't it? Uh, I think yeah. I think she does kills herself at, or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. You got anything else you want to say about this time loop? Uh, you know, uh, Meredith Hanger plays Misty, and the original girlfriend of uh, Niall Sandberg's character. She's uh, she's in uh, currently HBO Max is a show I can't think of the name that has been on TBS that stars Elia Shawkat called Search Party that I just Search remember Party. the name of. Yeah. Yes, uh, she's great in that, but she always plays that same role, and I think she's very good at it. She was also this in. Um, uh, kind of the same role in the Aubrey Plaza vehicle, Ingrid Goes West, where she's also at a wedding at the beginning. But Meredith Hanger's great. I'm glad she's she's very much a Meredith Hanger role in this. Uh, also, uh, two of my favorite comedians are in this movie. Uh, Jenna Friedman plays the bartender. I love Jenna. And my man Connor O'Malley is in this movie. I brought him up last episode. Uh, but he's uh, did another thing that paralleled to Chris Elliott. Chris Elliott was in Groundhog Day. Connor O'Malley's in this movie. Uh, and I'm just going to point this out for my own edification that their careers are weirdly similar and that I both love them so much. I can't wait for Connor Malley to get a weird sitcom to star in. But they're oh both those had the late night. Uh, uh, Chris Elliott did it with Letterman. Connor did it with Seth Meyers. They were like the weird character they had all the time. Um, yeah, good for them. Connor's he's great. great. He's great in this movie. Yeah. He's very normal. It's like it's it's so funny. It's like when Tim is normal in something. Yeah. You're just like waiting for him to lose his shit. <laughs> The yeah, there's also a lot of other great people in it too. Peter Gallagher. Peter Gallagher is in it. Yeah, he's really good. Um, yeah, so that's that movie that we were just talking about, whose name is Palm Springs. Mm-hmm. The next movie we're going to talk about is 2014's Edge of Tomorrow. I'm going to tell you a story. At first, it's going to sound ridiculous. But the longer I talk, we have to find the keys. The more rational it's going to appear. I can't believe you found coffee. Sugar, right? Yeah. Hold on. Three, like three. How many times have we been here? How many times? For me, it's been an eternity. Okay, look, with qualifications, can I say sometimes Tom Cruise gets a, a bad rap, but he gets like shit he doesn't deserve. Like after all this katie holmes uh couch jumping stuff it's like you just look at him as like a cult leader who had an army of slaves restoring classic motorcycles for him and like 
okay, that is true. <laughs> okay, that is true. But if you look at the movies this guy has made over his career, which at this point is like basically 40 years long, uh, if you really look at the movies, right, it's astounding how many creative, original projects are in there for someone who's been so famous for so long and you know is getting so much pressure to make absolute garbage. He does really commit himself to doing things that are interesting. And, and there are some amazing films in his filmography, right? Magnolia, Rain Man, Minority Report, Collateral. I mean, even like Vanilla Sky is surprising, right? I mean, it is creative. It is creative in a certain way, right? And and for someone who looks like Tom Cruise and is as famous as he is for being in Top Gun and, you know, the racing Top Gun, uh, Days of Thunder, it's like, it's amazing that he makes movies like this, right? So I think Edge of Tomorrow is is in this genre he in this time period tom cruise was making a couple of weird choices and he he especially made two years in a row made these kind of weird science fiction movies he made this movie oblivion in 2013 where he's like a clone but you don't find out he's a clone until way later in the movie it's actually a very interesting movie it's kind of stupid but it's also fun and then there's this movie edge of tomorrow it manages to feel like a b movie starring like the world's biggest movie star that cost like almost $200 million. The script is by Christopher McQuarrie and about like a dozen other people, but like, don't worry about it. Uh, it's adapted from a Japanese novel called All You Need Is Kill. <laughs> it's the story of a like a military man who's in the wrong place at the wrong time. And he ends up with the power to reset the world by 24 hours every time he dies, uh, which is a lot because he's fighting this uh, relentless alien invasion of Earth. So you wouldn't guess from that description, but it's actually like a pretty funny movie. Also, um, we were talking about Andy Samberg being like Wile E. Coyote and Elmer and J.K. Simmons being like Elmer Fudd or whatever, Bugs Bunny and Elmer Fudd. There's kind of an element of that in this movie. And I have read that Tom Cruise was trying to bring kind of a Wile E. Coyote element to the movie because he dies like a million times in the movie. And some of the ways he dies are pretty silly. Right. Uh, and that was on purpose. They wanted to make it kind of fun. Right. Uh, I think this movie is inventive. I think it looks great. I think as time loop movies go, it is surprising and it's got a new take on a time loop. Uh, I I really enjoy this movie. It feels like a movie you somehow discovered, even though it's a major major Hollywood film, right? What 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 did you think? I would agree with that. Yeah, it it, it really is underrated, even though it's this big giant two hundred million dollar movie with a hundred million dollar ad budget. Film hipsters like me, like okay, action movie Tom Cruise, you dismiss it, but no, it really is a good movie. It's also uh, I don't know I, I Doug Liman is the director here. I. Not a huge Doug Liman fan, uh, but I think between it's between this and Swingers as his best movie, uh, it also has kind of similar. Both movies have kind of similar joke endings too, which I I, I thought was funny. But uh, yeah, Doug Liman also did uh, the Bourne movies, uh, probably something else with Tom Cruise. I'm sure. I'm trying. Yeah. Oh, he did Mr. and Mrs. Smith, and uh, yeah, uh, Go from the late '90s. But anyway, that's. Uh, me talking about a director I don't like, uh, but this is um, uh, a movie I, he did that I really do like, and it's taking that Groundhog's Day template and you know kind of making it a video game in that the protagonist keeps dying, but you get further, you learn, and you get further and further each long, uh, and that makes it uh, work a lot. And uh, I guess we could talk about the time loop conceit because I think the time loop conceit it really really works for this film, and it wor- should work for an action film because. One, it, like I just said, it's like a video game. We can easily relate to that. But the way that they ground that in this movie is just super good sci-fi writing, too. It's aliens is how they is how this title works, <laughs> to be to say one word. Uh, aliens with 
blood from outer space. Yeah. And it really <laughs> like, okay, sure. That makes sense. Like, you know? like the time loop is there because these aliens are that cool and super strong. Well, you uh, said, wait, you said a couple things in there that I want to, yeah, I want to talk ahead. about also. Like, um, you mentioned how this movie feels like a video game and that it does feel like a video game. And that is definitely a thing. Both the writer of the novel and the writers and directors of the film have talked about that. It's, it's like a video game. And I think what's so interesting is like, yeah, like every time loop movie in a certain sense is like a video game, but somehow none of them were, did feel like a video game until this one, right? Like it really, and it's something too about the way that like the outfits look and the aliens look, I mean, it looks like Gears of War or something. Oh, yeah. right? It is a really cool looking in this movie too. But like, yeah, I think that was such a, cause it's such a, an, it's such a natural fit, a time loop where it's like you're living in a video game basically. But it, I, to my, as far as I am aware, it had not really been done at, you know, at this way and this level. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure maybe it was done somewhere, but like, not, not that I knew but about it. Not with know. this uh, big of a budget. Yeah. No, budget, baby. And even the way it's edited it lends to that whole look too. I feel like where it's just like, Boom, restart back here. Boom, restart back here. Just like really cool, quick cuts. But yeah, uh, to get back to the whole aliens of it too, which I thought was like rewatching, like, oh yeah, I forgot how cool these aliens were. So like the time loop is just this, str- aliens are this strong or can control everything. Um, a character describes it, Noah Taylor uh, plays the doctor. Uh, he says they're perfectly evolved word- world-conquering organisms. So like the time loop is part of their strength they're like these big strong great uh, aliens they are called mimics and the time loop just uh and reiterates that they are that great of uh, a villain to deal with yeah i mean it they're good i think they're good as a villain they're these kind of like robot dogs i guess like from outer space with like weird robot tendrils it's yeah. kind of and they're like glowing different colors shrieking um, small mouths yeah they're scary also, do you remember or do you know, was this one of those movies that came out in 3D? Because it kind of seemed like maybe it was a 3D movie. Uh, that would make sense. It uh, seems like it's I from that time in history, think, right? Maybe. It was like a big thing. I don't know. Maybe like an IMAX at, at the very least. Another thing. So this is, you know, it, it, the movie had kind of a tortured path to the screen in a certain way. And that's one of the reasons it feels kind of underrated was a million different people wrote the script adaptations to this. Like at, at one point, the um, script to this movie was on the blacklist. Like, you know, this famous list of the best unproduced scripts in Hollywood, like a previous version of this movie, like not, not at all the version that it was made was on the blacklist. Um, Christopher McQuarrie came in like very late in the process. Like they were already, had already started shooting, I think maybe, or they were about to start shooting. And in fact, they did not have the ending written when they started shooting. They just figured they'd figure it out. Um, and they did. I mean, it's pretty good. The original ending of the um, comic book, I'll tell you, or not the comic book, but the novel, uh, I'll tell you, is um, so that we haven't really talked about. There's Emily Blunt, another character, and she had oh, yeah. previously been stuck in a time loop also, but uh, isn't anymore. She escaped. She got out of it. Right. So now it's like she's primed again. It's like she's primed to believe that time loops are real and it doesn't take a lot of convincing for her. Right. Um, So that's like also very well done. So in the, in the book, it's like for some reason, the two of them to really kill the bad guy for good, they they think they've killed the bad guy for good, but then they wake up again and uh, they're not in the loop anymore or they're still in the loop. Right. But then they figure out to really kill the bad guy for good. He has to kill her 
and then and then he kills the bad guy and then it's like he's the world's biggest hero but inside his heart is broken because he had to kill this this woman that he cares about that is not that is not how this movie ends at no. all yeah they decided that was too much of a downer and they needed something that was more fun yeah, for a big tom cruise movie uh but yeah uh it's i don't know it's a very calibrated action movie in a way too uh in the sense that uh it really leans on it the time loop and it's the time loop is integral as it is explains the the humans means a survival against the aliens that the only way they can beat them is this time loop that they lucked on upon. But it does work in that we do get to see, you know, Tom Cruise learn and progress. Cause he does start out as kind of a dummy in this movie. And he, it is uh, honestly, like you said, it's a funny movie. It is very funny and satisfying to see him die as many times as he does. It's a huge montage too. He's getting like, like he gets hit by a robot and like flung like a crazy distance against a wall and like <laughs> smashed. And, you know, of course it's Tom Cruise. He did all his own stunts. There's actually a stunt way later in the movie that I rewound because I was trying to figure out how they could have done it. And it, it's like a, um, I don't know if you're going to remember this. It's right. It's toward the end. A helicopter crashes into a building. Tom Cruise is thrown out of the helicopter, rolls down with oh, yeah. two giant, like uh, pieces of stone and lands directly in front of the camera and then like gets up and you can see that it's him and it's been him the entire time. Pretty it's, like, like really well done. Like, I guess it was on a, I guess it was keyed in. Like, I guess he was on some kind of green thing and they keyed him in, but like, it looks fantastic. Yeah. Uh, that's the Tom Cruise, uh, that, that crazy nut Tom Cruise. I like that your intro is a little Tom Cruise based cause he is like, he's great in this movie and uh, he uses that uh, Tom Cruise magnetism, uh, very much well in this movie because at the beginning of the movie, like I said, he's kind of a dupus at the beginning. He's a salesman for the for the war, basically. He's yeah, so his his job is he's like me, like he's like a but even more better and successful. Yeah. Like he's like a he's like a communications person for the army, and it's his job to like go on MSNBC and like be interviewed about like why the war is great. And they have this montage of him being on all these different TV shows, and then it's like he pisses off the wrong general, and they send him to the front lines. Yeah, and he's like I don't, and he's like it's like a it's like he's um the guy from clerks you know he spends the first couple of loops being like i'm not even supposed to be here today yeah. speaking of that military thing i like that it doesn't really uh as most action movies do it doesn't fetishize the military uh like the suits are ugly uh the soldiers are kind of just like grunts and inept uh, and yeah, he's like a dumb spokesman trying to sell a war that even he doesn't believe in. They have no idea what's going on. They're yeah. all, they all get killed. They don't want to hear about like why, like how to do the thing better. They just want to like hurt you. Yeah, they, they, they just throw bodies at it too. Like it's like that's their strategy the whole time. Yeah, uh, yeah. The suits are really ugly in this movie. It's very <laughs> clunky. Like it even have like that uh, landmine. Uh, uh, it says like this way forward to explode or something oh yeah well no well, that's what they really say point yeah like, and they're wearing those yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's what they really say that's like you know how i know that is that's what ron swanson has on his desk is one that's of those, a landmine exactly like that and it is funny this whole thing we're talking about where he gets busted down and has to go in the front lines not to talk over and over about this the source material but watching it this time i was thinking i wonder if this was invented to get tom cruise into this movie because he's so old and like really this is it seems like the movie is written about like a young punk, you know, who has gotten put into the army. But for some reason, it's Tom Cruise, who's like 55. <laughs> and I was like, I wonder if this was just a device to make it. And it, it was. I read some research. It definitely was. When he came onto the movie, they were like, oh, shit, I guess we have to <laughs> figure out why someone of his age is in this position. You know, 
Uh, and I would uh, say as those things go, it's pretty well done. We brought up Emily Blunt a little bit, but can we get that woman an action franchise? Man, she is so good as like, I would totally want to see her just be out. I guess she might be uh, the quiet place. Fr- is, is that going to be a franchise? And she's oh, amazing in that movie. Uh, the only reason I like that movie, like I, you know, I don't want to sound insensitive or anything, but like, it's a famous story among me and my friends. We have, we have a female friend who saw this movie. One of the famous shots from the trailer is Emily Blunt for some reason, only wearing like a bulletproof vest. And she's doing this insane yoga move, like covered in sweat. And she just looks like such a fucking badass. And our friend saw it and she went, uh, shit, I got to start doing yoga. Like, (laughs) She just looks like the world's most in shape person. She looks like so good and she looks so tough. And you're just like, you cannot look at her in this movie and not think like, fuck, like this is a person. This is like the peak human beings. Like, you know, you may not like it, but this is what peak performance looks like. like sure. Sure. Um, uh, but she, uh, uh, just to run down her action bona fides too, Edge of Tomorrow, she's, uh, she's a badass one. And that's like Tom yeah. Cruise is the one who learns from her. She trains Tom Cruise. Uh, it's kind of cool that they let that, uh, it's usually like kind of flipped in the movies, but yeah, awesome that she did that. Um, Looper, I like Looper a lot. She's the oh, yeah. badass mom in that. Uh, Sicario, Adjustment Bureau. Uh, she has like those Huntsman movies that I actually haven't seen. Yeah, I think that. The, I mean, don't talk about the Adjustment. That's not a good, the, the Adjustment Bureau sucks. <laughs> she is not like an action person in that movie, I don't think. That's I think true. she is like the victim. She's like the kid, you know. But Sicario, though, she's badass in though. Sicario, she's, well, she's also kind of the victim in Sicario. Yeah, true. But she's, just, like, I, I think she's a badass at the beginning. Yeah. I actually kind of don't like that movie because I, because it is, I think that is the message of the movie. It's like Emily Blunt thinks she's a badass, but then she meets the ultimate badasses. And I know we're supposed to think they're bad people and we're not supposed to. She meets the system. Yeah. uh, I like Sicario. And then I saw the sequel. I was like, Oh man, that totally destroyed all the goodwill from Sicario. That's what I'm saying, dude. Like, I remember when Sicario was a movie, everyone talked about how great it was. And, and I, I, of course it's better than Sicario too. Right. Any movie. But I was like, I'm not crazy about it. And then the sequel came out and I was like, okay, I was right. I was right the whole time. Like, this is what they thought you liked about Sicario. You know, Uh, it is one of my favorite scores. I always say that Sicario, the uh, late Johan Johansson did the score and uh, shot by Roger Deakins. I don't need to talk about how much I like Sicario, (laughs) but I think um, I'm never going to hate on Sicario. I think it's a well-earned reputation movie. Yeah, sure. Fine. Sure. For better or worse. You will not survive here. You're not a wolf. And this is the land of wolves now. It's like we were saying, the relationship I have to this movie is, it was advertised so much, but everybody acted like it was a disaster before it even came out. And it actually got really good reviews. And it it actually made a pretty good amount of money. It made like $400 million, I think. Mm -hmm. But it was like, Everybody just, it was like it just disappeared, you know? It's very weird. And the I mean, they, of movies they show in it on HBO like all the time, I guess, but that's over. I actually have to pay, have to, pay to rent this movie. Yeah, me too on Amazon, three bucks. Yeah. I thought for sure this would be on Netflix or on HBO or on Showtime or something, but it's not. It's nowhere. You have to pay it's to rent. Contract ran up. It's pretty fucked up. But it is, I, I but it was so what I was going to say is, and when I said this already, Eve, despite being a huge hugely budgeted movie it feels like a a a b movie that you find and you're like oh shit actually this movie is really fun yeah it kind of grew into its own cult success in its way uh which you know chris mccurry did the screenplay we talked about him writing the screenplay uh and who is does the uh mission possible movies too which is another 
amazing Tom Cruise vehicle. Yeah, this is like the start of his relationship. Like he basically anything that Tom Cruise does now, Chris McQuarrie has to direct. And I, <laughs> and I think the, the, the rumor is he doesn't really direct very much. It's like Tom Cruise directs the movie, but Chris is there, you know? Um, so he was directing Jack Reacher and Tom Cruise was looking at draft like 65 of, uh, edge of tomorrow and like showed it to Chris. And then Chris ended up rewriting it. And then, you know, obviously I guess Tom liked how it turned out. And then, then he did a mission impossible after that. And then it's just been off to the races like ever since, He's done. Yeah. They do. They only work together all the time now. I think he uh, even uh, Chris McQuarrie wrote the Top Gun movie that was supposed to come out this year. Oh yeah, yeah. I don't think he directed, but he at least wrote it. Yeah, I mean it's interesting. It's interesting because you don't. It's not something people really talk about, and it's not supposed to be like artistically fruitful, I guess. But they do have a really strong relationship, the two of them. They yeah. work together all the time. Yeah, the Mummy. I think that movie that we'll never see. They uh, at least got, they got each other. Uh, Tom Cruise got him to write it. I, I watched part of that on an airplane, and I could not finish it. I could not finish it. <laughs> you got anything else you would like to say about this this film, Edge of Tomorrow? Uh, no. We could get into the uh, actually best choice of it all, and I could wrap up my thoughts on these. Yeah. Movies. So. Like, let's say you had to pick one of these movies to watch, uh, or you would have to watch them both infinitely for all of the Ooh, time. that's a good hypothetical question that I'm thinking about right now. Uh, I am going to choose uh, Palm Springs, but first I will say why I'm not choosing Edge of Tomorrow, uh, which I, I get. I like Edge of Tomorrow. It's a, I mean, I love dumb action movies, and this is not dumb, but it's still like a pretty straightforward, straight line action movie. Uh, very easy to digest, and I didn't know that about the uh, ending of the other film uh, that you uh, not, not the other film the, uh, the, the source manga material. or whatever yeah. you bought the source material. It's actually a, it's actually a novel. They did make a manga yeah. version of it, but it was a real book. It was a novel. Yeah, and I like that it was more emotional, and they do hint at that emotion uh, in the movie a little bit. I think they could have done that more in a way, but that's the movie. It's a big, expensive action vehicle. Yeah. Uh, and so it just more takes, doesn't really do anything with the time loop other than, you know, it's a very fluid incorporation of the time loop, which is uh, impressive. So it's less of a plot driving device and more of just a story, a story driven thing. Uh, and they do hint at those emotions, but it's all rolled into that ending of a chuckle, which I alluded to as like the kind of same ending of swingers where it's just like one line to throw, to throw and wrap everything up of just, uh, yeah, it's silly, but you know. Palm Springs is great. Uh, I think it's, I don't know, as generations age, they'll probably see this and hopefully they'll check out Groundhog Day, which is also streaming. But I hope people, uh, young kids will be like, oh, I I really like this. I think there's some very timeless stuff in this movie uh, that pertains to the relationships. It's also, again, very funny. Uh, a line I think is going to live uh, that I liked in this movie a lot in Palm Springs. It's at the ending, and it, it is, spoiler alert a little bit, it is a happy ending, which, you know, it is a rom-com. Yeah. Uh, but he says to her, uh, as, as, he's ex- as, the, as they're about to, you know, get out of this time loop and explode each other, possibly, uh, like, what if I'm going to get sick of you? And he goes, we're already sick of each other. It's the best. Like, that's a good rom-com line. Yeah, like, that's, that's really cute. I agree. That's really cute. Uh, it's very smart, very funny. I'm a huge Lonely Island guy, so I'm, I'm going to pick Palm Springs. Yeah, it's definitely a tough one. I definitely agree. Um, 
you know, I guess the way I would think about it is if you haven't seen either one and you wanted to watch a movie, you know, tonight, let's say it's seven o'clock. You're like, oh, let's watch a movie. I would I would also have to agree to go with Palm Springs. Like, I, I really like Edge of Tomorrow. I think it's a good film. And I think, you know, as I often say, oh, watch it, too, you know. Yes, yes. But it is it does suffer from the like. It's an action movie from the 2010s. Like the end of it is a little bit by numbers. It's like, we got to go find the big monster and blow it up. And too much of the movie becomes about like missions to blow up the monster. And like, I don't, that wasn't really the heart of the movie. You know what I mean? Uh, And it gets a little bit like you could, your attention might drift a little bit. Uh, But Palm Springs is a, like you're saying, it's a great rom-com. It's very, very funny. I mean, at least I found it very funny. And I think all the performances are really good. Again, I would say it's a little rough right at the beginning. Like, stick it out. It's it's fine. It's not going to last very long. Mm-hmm. And I think they do such a good do- job deepening all the characters. I just think it's, you know, it's kind of an odd choice to start with them at this level where, like, you know, it's trying to start with them just like you're just encountering them and then you're learning more and more about them. But uh, it's a little alienating. But, like, I I thought it was great. You know, Yeah, actually. Yeah, as, actually best as, choice yeah yeah as a means of a time loop movie they both again uh add on to uh the well-established uh tropes uh brilliantly effort effortlessly brilliantly portrayed in groundhog's day uh they both add on to it uh palm springs with a rom-com and edge of tomorrow with a uh, you know action they both are like if you want to see those that portrayed it in different genres these are two great places to start hell yeah brother hell, hell yeah. yeah hell yeah i can't believe i talked about that just tomorrow and i didn't even mention bill paxton once until now bill paxton yeah r.i.p and also what's his face the other guy who's dead Lincoln, our, uh, pres- our next president trump yeah it's so sad we got two we got two dead people in this movie yeah, who are really good. Still alive. who's the dead person you're thinking of oh, isn't bill paxton dead yeah who's oh brennan gleason is he, he's not dead yeah he's dead brennan gleason's not dead yeah, I'm a hundred percent sure. Really, I thought he was playing President Trump soon. Oh shit! No, you're right. I thought for <laughs> sure he died. Right, he's playing. Uh, oh, d- well. He's playing. <laughs> I thought for sure the motherfucker show. died. I feel really <laughs> stupid now. Now, who's that guy from the Irish movie about the really corrupt cop? It, you know, oh, that right sounds now? like every Irish movie I've ever seen. Oh, it's like it's called like The Officer or something, and it's like he uh, just does a bunch of drugs and. It's supposed to be a cop in a small town, and it's like a piece of shit. That that guy died. That's who I'm thinking of. Oh, Jeremy Piven. It's not Jeremy Piven, you piece of garbage. <laughs> the guard, the guard. Oh, oh Brendan Gleeson. That is Brendan Gleeson. He's still alive. Fuck. <laughs> I thought for sure that he died. I thought for sure. I mean, he's going to play uh, President Trump, and it looks really good, so they're going to kill him. All right, all right. Well, that's the show, everybody. I don't know who's fucking alive and dead. I've got my fucking head on my ass. Am I alive? Am I dead? Is this heaven? Is this purgatory? Nobody knows. All right, goodbye. Bye. Uh, I just read Doug Lyman's name, and do you remember that uh, song by the Yaya's Gold Lion? Uh, yeah, I guess so. I guess I do. Yeah. Doug Lyman gonna tell me where the lion is. <laughs> <laughs> That's tight. That's tight as hell, dude.